Hello, and welcome to another edition of The Todd and Taylor Show. I'm Todd A. Uh, I'm Taylor Trask. <laughs> I almost forgot the name of the show. <laughs> I almost forgot my name. So we're off to a rousing good coming. start. Yeah, we've had a, a hilarious conversation. Uh, would Taylor ask me not to mention this, but during this conversation, he was trying to find the name of an actor, and he said, you know, Scott Kahn's dad. So... Um, <laughs> You know what though? Don't don't rag on me because Scott Kahn is an actor in his own right. You know he's. I, I would imagine there's a there's a swath of people out there who know him more than for, than his father's work. And there's you know yeah. <laughs> that guy, the father of that guy from Hawaii Five O, the remake. <laughs> he's been in other. He's been in. He was in the Oceans movies. He's been in stuff. That's true. That's With how I Casey thought of Affleck. It. That's how I thought of Casey Affleck. Because when I think of him, I think of I think of the two of them together. I didn't realize that was Casey Affleck in the Oceans movie for the longest time. It took me, somebody had to actually point out to me that that was Casey. I was like, really? Oh, wow. it is? Yeah. I, for whatever reason, just never, never occurred to me. Yeah. He was a younger Sprout then. He didn't quite look as, as distinguished or as, as seasoned as his brother. I mean, now you can tell he and Ben like look related at the time. Not so much. Not to go on another tangent, but were they both, did it was Casey in the town with Ben? I believe so. I think so too. The, t- God, the, the town was so good. I still haven't seen it. Oh my gosh, you'll love it. Uh, it's re- it's oh, John really Hamm's in it. Holy crap! Wow, hey, I didn't realize Rebecca no, Hall was in this either. Oh, it's really good. Yeah. yeah, he's not as far as I can see. Unless he was a, a minor role, I don't see him listed. I just always feel like uh, K- Casey Affleck is like you know he's there in the background of Ben Affleck movies or something. Sort of like uh, Clint Howard being in every Ron Howard production. Oh yeah, you're I know right. That's oh, not God. true. And I, you know what's what's really sad about Clint Howard? I confused him and David Cross for the longest time. I was like, <laughs> I'm serious because they kind of have a like, especially because if you've seen Apollo 13 a few times, like Clint Howard has like glasses and stuff, and he looks. Hang on, am I talking about the right guy? He's uh the guy that yeah, I mean he's in Apollo 13. Um, he's one of the you know control room guys. When he's wearing glasses in Apollo 13, he looks just like David Cross. I don't. Yeah, you're you're right. And you know what's terrifying? Uh, with that comparison is if you have seen the new movie, the post, which I saw on Friday, uh, David Cross is in that. And it took me so long to figure out, like to place him. I was like, I know that voice and those, and you know, I can see who that is, but he is in a costume and makeup that are very Clint Howard ish and not David Cross ish. It's, it's pretty, it's a great job. Bob Odenkirk kills in the post. Uh, if you're a Mr. Cross. Show fan, wow, if you're a Mr. Show fan, then that movie must be. It's so weird. Like you're like, wow. I mean, at first you think they're just going to be sort of the, you know, the two newsroom guys that are in important scenes, but maybe not leads. But Bob Odenkirk is like a lead, you know? That's all. Yeah. Bob Odenkirk, man, he, and granted, he's had a lot of time to practice on TV with Breaking Bad and especially Better Call Saul, but who'd have thought he would have turned out to be like one of the best a great dramatic actor yeah he's amazing he's just he and he he does this thing and and, and it's kind of like robin williams right where robin williams you know just just like bob odenkirk has a really wide range and is really good at comedy but i think it's that it's it's that understanding of heart and comedy that makes it all the more chilling when they when they really lock into a dramatic thing or a, a quieter moment or you know something that's not necessarily funny on the surface like that just it works really well like it's oh so good well, and it's weird to think my impression of Mr. Show was always that David Cross would be the one that would kind of get the opportunities out of it. You know, he was going to be the one uh, that yeah. you could see in a sitcom. But True. Bob Odenkirk, I was like, he's just the weirdo. Like, he's so obscure and strange. Like, you know, what's this guy ever going to do but be weirdos and stuff? Yeah. And so now to see him just killing it is really great. He's um, uh, when he does that thing, too, where he wears like and and, and this is this is like Saul as a character, but he wears his guilt on his face. And even if he's like trying to, you know, create an illusion of confidence or like, everything's gonna be okay. Right. You can just see, he does something with his eyes where you're just like, this dude's this, this character, this man, like the weight of his, of his life is written right there. I don't know how he does that. I don't know if he even knows how he does that, but it's, that's a, that's a hell of a magic trick to do anyway. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll say that as just an endorsement of seeing the post. Um, as listeners may have guessed, we are not doing a coffee and comics episode today. Um, <laughs> we're just doing we're doing like kind of a catch up 
on a, on some news and some other uh, shows, mostly that uh, Taylor's watched, um, and then and then a comic book we're both reading that's an ongoing series. So this is just kind of a catch-all show. It's a potluck. Um, I I was when you uh, I, I was happy to do a catch-all rather than a, a focused com- coffee and comic show, but I did especially prepare coffee because I was really <laughs> excited to give you a coffee update. Well, let's let's hear your coffee update since you're I know you're practicing. You're you're intentionally. Uh, yeah, this is my New Year's resolution: make decent cups of coffee at home. Um, so I switched to a, uh, a, a the Guatemala Antigua roast um, at Starbucks again. I'm just you know I'm I'm uh, baby steps. Uh, but just because this was what a barista had told me, like go for the Kenyan blends and the Guatemalan blends, because that's going to make a better iced coffee. So I'm on the Guatemala today. Um, and I, I, what I realized quickly was that even the little stuff I learned about making the Kenyan one taste good, doesn't necessarily apply to the next roast. And so I, I, it was kind of disheartening to figure out, oh no, I'm not all the way back to like square zero, but I'm like, you know, square two or three. Like this is going to take me a week of working with this to get it to the right flavor, you know? Yeah. So anyway, that's where I am. Guatemala today. Um, now let me ask you this. I know you've, you've kind of been a, you, you're not traditionally a coffee fan as you're getting further into this. Are you, are you, is your appreciation of the taste of coffee or just like the, the mechanics of coffee improving or does this just feel like I like going to the gym? Like I just got to do this, my resolution, I'm going to do it. That'll be done. Uh, I, well, I really like what you said about it being chemistry, you know, and that like that, uh, the Taylor said that on our last episode. Um, and I, that kind of, it, I don't know. It's like, um, I'm avoiding your question. Yeah. I, I think the thing is like, I always sort of liked different coffee tastes. I just didn't like them delivered in a hot liquid without like something, you know, like a, like it was to me, it was always hard to get like the milk ratio, right. Mm. Um, uh, you know, cream was always like too sweet, uh, the hat or like half and half, you know? And, uh, so I, you know, it was just always like you, I mean, you put too much milk in a cup of coffee and you fucked up the whole cup of coffee, you know? True. So it's like, you're like, oh, I've, you know, I've ruined the balance now and you can't necessarily get it back by adding more coffee. It's like, uh, you know, it's just a, it's like you said, I mean, you, you gotta be a mixologist of coffee. Yeah. And, yeah. um, yeah. So anyway, I'm getting there, but I, I'll tell you the same tip that I used last week. <laughs> I, I said on our show last week, um, it really worked for me all week during, <clears throat> during my work week, which was, um, so I make like four cups of coffee at night, put them in the fridge. Uh, Oh, sorry. Uh, fill up my ice cube tray and then freeze that and then put the rest in the fridge. And, uh, so then the next morning I have my, you know, chilled coffee. I pour it over like two normal cubes of ice and two of the coffee ice cubes of mm-hmm. ice. So the mm-hmm. coffee ice cubes are melting, you know, into my coffee. And I think that that's, I helped, I think that's helped get the right balance of coffee versus uh, water and milk and stuff. Nice. So yeah, I'm more into that than like when I, you know, when you go get iced coffee in a, you know, in a coffee shop, like they're going to just dump a bunch of ice into it. And then yeah, that's what, I've, that's what I've never been a big fan of ice drinks at Starbucks, mainly because there was a day when I first moved to Denver, I was walking, I, I used to live very close to a Starbucks, like a couple blocks walking. I was walking down to a different coffee shop that wasn't Starbucks, but there was a woman walking up the hill and she was like a class, you know, kind of like the most cliche, uh, you know, like a uh, white woman, suburbanite, you know, early twenties, probably just you know, big, you know, giant sunglasses, um, you know, like purse, purse slinging off her, off her, uh, elbow, just, you know, the, the very, very kind of billowy, fluffy clothes, very high heels. And she was walking, she had like this gigantic, uh, like I, it, it wasn't the Trenta. Cause I don't know if the Trenta size had come out yet then for Starbucks, but it looked fairly close. It was gigantic. Yeah, even those venties are huge. It was I mean. huge. And it was like a strawberry. It, I could tell it was like a strawberry thing. And she was like sipping it, and she was barely like the straw was barely like in her mouth. And she was like sipping it and she stopped and she didn't, it's not like she saw me. I was still like a block and a half away, but I, I could see this clearly. And she stopped 
and she kind of like looked around as though like you know is anybody watching and she like set it and she kind of like made a face and she like set it down like it was about to explode and she set it on the ground and and walked away she literally <laughs> took her like entire like giant it was like she she took a drink and went ew and set it down and then like walked away like it was gonna blow up so i clearly it was on the sidewalk when i got up to it and i looked at it and i picked it up and it was still cold she just bought it so she must have just had a moment where she's like i'm just too fat and like put it down and and i was just like and since that day i just i look at those drinks like with just utter disgust i'm like this is just pudding in a cup like chill pudding (laughs) well see i take (laughs) i take her side and the point i was just making about chemistry where she ordered this with some specific number of pumps of sweetener yeah. and amount of cream or whatever. And they gave it to her and she took a couple sips and was like, God damn it. <laughs> like they're just one pump over and the thing is garbage. It's worthless. It's worthless. Putting it right here. So everybody can see walk past it in shame and scorn, like worthless. <laughs> I don't think I've ever done that with a venti. But there have definitely been like when I try a new, uh, you know, brew or something at a place and I'm like, <laughs> I just drop a whole cup of coffee in the trash. Oh, it's geez. so terrible. But I've told you, I try cold brews everywhere because I'm like, yeah, there's yeah. got to be one that works for me. And I've definitely thrown a lot of cold brew away. There's so. a coffee shop when you're next in Denver. There's one near my office studio that uh, has popped up that I think has a cold brew you might like. Like they've been every time I walk in because I'm a kind of a regular. They give me like a little sample here and there, and they're like, "We've been working on this. What do you think?" And it it was a cold coffee that I was actually the first time it, I I was very impressed. It was a it, it had a sort of uh it wasn't so watery like they sometimes are. There was yeah, it was a, it kind of a what I, oh. texture that was really really nice. So. I, that is you. You've pointed out a, a really, a really important thing. I think of cold brew, and everyone talks about how it's less acidic. And I'm like, yeah, but it's watery. Yeah, and you can't really uh, fix it with milk or creamer because that j- then it then it's like you're drinking three layers of something. Like there's kind yeah. of a, a a coffee bottom layer and a water in between and a milk on top. It's just yeah. anyway. I'll make this note because I need to write it down later. I do think this Guatemala works better with more milk than the Kenyan one. Ah, so anyway, uh, let's, one. let's jump into it. Uh, I really like the way you've set up the, the notes doc to guide me through this. Um, because these are, these are like straight off, off, uh, off your head, you know? Yeah. So I don't even know how to introduce Voltron because I don't even know what's going on. Is it a new series? Is it, uh, an old series that's just appeared on Netflix? Give me the scoop. Well, we're going to talk about some Netflix things and Voltron is one of them. Um, now I've been wanting to talk about this for a while. I like, I think since October, I've been like, we should talk about Voltron. I know you haven't seen it, but uh, I was a big, big, big fan in the eighties of the original sort of anime show that had come out. Um, at that time, like the toy, there was something about it. Like my, my two big jams in the eighties were He-Man and Voltron. Um, I was a fan of Thundercats, but my, I had three channels growing up and, and that channel was not among them. So I could never really watch Thundercats regularly unless I went to my grandparents' house or something. So I was never really in, and I, I watched GI Joe, but I was never like a big GI Joe toy fan. I think they're because they were too big. It just felt like I was playing with, with dude Barbies. So never quite, I mean, I, I, I didn't hate them. I'm just like, oh, just a, it was more like, Oh, and GI Joe. Yeah. I'm kind of a fan, I guess, but Voltron and He-Man were my, were my jams, which coincidentally, I, I've been meaning to say this for a while too, <clears throat> as somebody who never, like I never grew up with like Marvel DC comics, like you or other, you know, I think others, um, you know, uh, had and, and to the point where like, there's, I always hear people talk about, you know, when, when uh, Thor is on screen or like, I never thought in my life I would see this moment in a Marvel movie. And like, you know, people talk about Marvel characters, like they've been waiting their whole lives. And I've always been sort of jealous of that. Cause I'm like, I, I love the fact that these, these things are being put into film, but I never quite had that attachment to a lot of this stuff. Like, Oh, I've been waiting. You know, I read this and, you know, in, in you know, 25 years ago, and I've been waiting this whole time. I've always kind of wanted that. And I feel like if, if, if anything happens with He-Man or Voltron, like I was thinking even the other day, like I, uh, if they ever do a He-Man movie and they do it right, again, I'm going to have, <laughs> I'm going to have those kind of same feelings. Like, Oh my God, I've been waiting to see like, you know, this on screen. Like, and all we have for He-Man is just the Frank Langella Skeletor one, which he's great, but the rest of it's kind of, yeah, but that's, you know, I, I, I feel like that. And so for with Voltron specifically, 
Well, do you want it as a live action film though? I mean, he man. Yes. I think, I think there's a way to do masters of the universe live action now, especially that works incredibly well, especially after Thor Ragnarok. I'm like, yeah, Thor, Thor embraced all its ridiculousness. And I think there's a lot of, that in He-Man that can easily be be done. What you have to, the, the trick, I, I think all of He-Man's easy except for one thing. Who do you cast as Adam and who do you cast as He-Man and how do you make those things work? And what's funny about that is we're going to see that sort of demoed with Shazam because they cast, you know, young Billy Batson and they cast the guy who, Zachary Levi of, of Chuck as Shazam. And Zachary Levi is going to have to bulk up a little bit. Um, but they're going to do that in a way where you get to see like this young character become this like big, powerful character. And it's basically big. It's the movie big, right? So you got to cast somebody as the older actor who can, who can convey innocence, but also has this like physicality that's clearly magical or, you know, supernatural. So with He-Man, like you got to cast an Adam and Adam in in the context of the, the, and we're going to talk about Voltron in a second. Don't worry. But Adam in the context of, of He-Man is like, you know, in his late teens. So you got to cast somebody who's, you know, kind of scrawny. Um, and then a He-Man who's bigger that can actually, but nobody recognizes He-Man as Adam. So it's got to be somebody who doesn't look just like him, but yet could be him. It's, that's the trickiest aspect of it. Everything else, like all the ridiculous character names, the settings, like Thor Ragnarok has basically opened the door for any of that to be accepted as long as you honor the original source material. So all this is, is just a weird way to say, or kind of weird circular, circular way to say when Netflix said, oh, we're going to reboot Voltron under the DreamWorks animation um, uh, studio. And I, I was actually super duper excited because the way they sort of pitched it was, oh, we're going to, you know, it'll be, it'll be Netflix. It'll, it'll all come out at once. We're actually, we really, really want to honor the source material, but, but bring it into the modern day with better editing, better, you know, better storytelling, um, you know, all the things that we've learned since the eighties, we're going to apply, but we're going to still give you the original sort of intent. There had been a couple of Voltron. I think there was like one weird, like lion force series that came out on Fox or something like maybe eight, nine years ago. That was just dog shit. It was just, it was horrible. So I was just, and, and nobody kind of came and went, there wasn't really like, you know, a companion toy set or anything. So when they, when Netflix announced this, I was, I was excited. And the first season came out, I was, man, I was hooked because they, they took, a lot of the original series, which if you're not familiar, the original, the original intent of Voltron is, and, and I, I want to make this very clear too, because a lot of people see Voltron and they're like, oh, this is just like the Power Rangers. That's what my fiance thought. And it's, it's Wait, not. Voltron is like where they have the big robot lions. Yes, there's much, it, there's much more of a mythology to it. So like the whole idea is these five space explorers um, stumble onto this planet where this legend of Voltron uh, once existed, you know, like thousands of years ago, there was this, this, um, giant, you know, kind of robot, uh, uh, um, what's the word that they use in, uh, like Jaeger essentially like this giant Jaeger. <laughs> um, I was like, I was looking for the Pacific Rim reference, like this giant robot Jaeger that like protected the galaxy. And he was formed by five robot lions and they had all, you know, in the original series, all the lions had gone missing. And, um, this, you know, the threat, there's this galactic kind of like, like, uh, almost like the empire in star Wars, there's this galactic kind of, uh, evil force, um, ruled by King Zarkon, who's slowly, you know, taking over more and more of the galaxy and, and they need Voltron to come back to battle that off. So these five kind of explorers get sucked into this and end up becoming the new pilots of the Voltron of the, of the robot lions. And then they form Voltron and it's like this big deal. And then the, one of the, one of the ways that, they kind of create new threats and at least in the original series, they create new threats for Voltron is uh, Zarkon has this witch named Hagar. Who's kind of like a um, mage slash scientist. So she's able to take uh, like, you know, regular, like she's able to build like these Frankenstein monster things and then make them really big. So then she'll send them off to different plants and then has to fight Voltron. The problem with magic and robotics exist in the same universe yes and in much the same way again i'll use thor for this reference too in much the same way there's it's almost like you know magic and science are almost this you know are almost the same thing you know if if you take magic for you know take science far enough it almost feels magical so there's a little of that at play too um strangely enough a lot of he-man is also like fantasy sci-fi kind of rolled into one there's like a lot of a lot of the he-man sort of tech is you know, it's very scientifically, technologically driven, but then there's a lot of magic too. So that's maybe that's Honestly, just <laughs> that is a really interesting point 
that we make, I, I think we make a lot of that out recently. Like that's a new thing in superhero movies, but yeah, that, that has actually been around for a long time. That like combining of, of the cyber and the magic. Yeah, totally. And it's, it's, I mean, I think every one of us in the eighties, like kind of was exposed to it in some facet. Um, So it's, so anyway, the new series takes uh, all the same character names. um, uh, And and they they really, it's interesting. Like there's a, I only started noticing this recently, like Silicon Valley, uh, South park. um, uh, And in this, to some extent, it all uses these kind of like archetypal characters um, that go back to even, you know, to Shakespeare for sure. Like if you're a big fan of Shakespeare and you are, you know, the Midsummer Night's Dream play, there's a, my favorite part of Midsummer Night's Dream is the, this, these group of characters called the mechanicals and they put on this play within the play. And it's probably the funniest thing Shakespeare's ever done, but each, each of the mechanicals is kind of an archetypical, archetypical character. And it's, you see that played out in Silicon Valley. You see that played out in South Park and you see it played out here too. There's like the kind of the big, you know, kind of, uh, heavier set bumbling kind of like humorous one there's like the you know stick in his butt one there's the sort of ladies man one there's the sciencey geeky one so they they have they have these characters and they kind of they the origin story is sort of similar but they take it in a in a slightly different direction and they really 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 pay attention to world building so they took like all this all the stuff that we liked about the first one and really improved upon it incredibly. And the one thing that I really like, this is kind of a spoiler, but in the original series, there was this character called Pidge, who was like the she uh, he rather piloted the Green Lion and was this like smaller character and kind of like androgynous character, had like a really high whiny voice, like, hey guys, I'm Pidge. And you could just you never really knew what his deal was. You're like, why is this character in <laughs> Why is this character here? Like all the other characters are clearly like male, like pilots or, you know, uh, ex-criminals or something. What is Pidge? Like, is it, is it a girl? Should it have been a girl? In the new series, Pidge is still a character, but Pidge is uh, very clearly a girl. And she, and you learn this early on. This isn't like a, a big revelation so much as like, it comes up, I think in episode like three or four of like the first season. And it's such a welcome, refreshing surprise. And they do it this is an example of how they take like something from the original series and make it in in a really classy way, make it, you know, honor it and really take it another step further. So it starts off. Everybody thinks Pidge is a boy. Um, They're all, instead of being um, kind of ex criminals and stuff, they're all, most of the characters are part of a, 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 an earth based like galaxy garrison, like uh, almost like the army, like the space army uh, or space air, you know, air force. So they all meet, most of them meet there. And then they um, they all kind of get together. But Pidge, whose real name is Katie, joins because her brother and father joined and disappeared. And she wants to find them. And she also she always dreamed of following in their footsteps. So she when they disappear, she crafts her image. She starts wearing glasses and crafts her image to look like her brother. So she carries around this picture of her brother and her, but everybody thinks that her brother is just her and that the girl is like somebody else. So it's really cool when they reveal it that, oh, this, this kick-ass character is actually this girl named Katie, uh, but they're just going to keep calling her Pidge as like her nickname and everything. So it's really like it took a thing from the original series that everybody was kind of confused about and made it more important, more meaningful. And they take it, they, they, they really run with that character arc. Like she's one of the most compelling things in this show. But they do that with a lot of things. Like the witch Hagar um, in the new series has like a really, really interesting emotional backstory and you're like oh my god this is how she came to be this is how the whole like this is how zarkon's empire came to be like the whole thing is given a lot of depth and a lot of context um, so not only are they faithful to the mythology that the original series set up but they're like expanding that mythology so it almost makes more sense and absolutely and it's like oh this is this is what we all when we watch the show in the 80s this is what if 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 shows were more sophisticated back then, this is what we always kind of wanted to happen. Um, and strangely enough, and I'll go back to He-Man one more time, when they did a revival animated series in like the early 2000s, like 2003, 2004, they brought He-Man back on Adult Swim or Cartoon Network, I think, uh, for like a three-season run. They did the same thing then too. Um, they took a lot of like the stuff that you know, could have been, they could have delved a lot deeper on and really built up the mythology, really built up the canon while staying incredibly loyal to the characters, the character names, you know, they, they gave weird things like, like weird costume choices or weird character designs that were like basically just there to sell toys. They actually made something out of it. And I remember at the time going, oh my God, this, this was made by people who loved 
the original 1980s series and wished it could have been so much more. Like same same thing with Voltron. So you're watching this going, this is just a really goddamn good show. Like forget that it's based on like kind of a ridiculous concept. Like this is just a really good show. And every season has been progressively better and better. And they've thrown some really cool twists that the original series never bothered with. Like really cool twists. Um, the way they introduce character, you know, kind of characters that we all knew back then is really interesting. And they're just, they're really running with it. And I think they just, uh, season five should come out soon. They, uh, season four debuted in the, in the fall of last year. And uh, where I really get sucked into it, and the reason I'm, I'm really excited is they finally introduced a toy line to accompany it. And because <laughs> when it first came out, I was looking around, I'm like, there's not a toy line anywhere? And they, I don't think they put one out because they didn't know how successful the series was going to be. And it's been great for Netflix. So they finally put out a toy line. The toy line has been, um, uh, it, it, just like the, like the series, the toy line really, they really care. Like they built a toy line that matches the show. Like in the original... In the original show, like the way the robots, you know, like the way the, the lion's legs and like, you know, the, the way they kind of have to manipulate the lions to get to form Voltron always left a lot on the table. It's like, well, that's the toys never looked like the actual lions on the show because they had to like sort of fold in a way that made them like, you know, create a, a robot guy. The new toys actually like they built the lions on the show much more practically. So they're like, oh yeah, the lion isn't just going to, you know, the legs aren't just going to magically disappear. Like they have to fold and do this and go under this. And so they really made the toys match the mechanics of the line. So the whole thing just feels like somebody really cares. Like whoever was responsible for any of this is like, Oh, hmm. we, we really care about this. We know the people who are going to buy these are largely going to be, you know, like 30 something dudes who, who remembered back then. So I of course bought like, all the lions and you know, like diecast mini <laughs> versions. So I have like a, I have like a little twelve-inch Voltron, you know, assembled at my office. So I just, I've been excited to talk about it because it's, um, if you never cared at all about the original series, watch at least watch the the pilot episode of this because it really, they really, they really, really, really try hard to establish something really good. And it's just like it's just a good drama. There's a going back to Katie real quick. Uh, slash pidge there's an episode in season four that almost made me cry um it was just so emotional it's about her her trying to find her brother and it's just yeah and you you learn about what happened to him and it's just really freaking good um and they're just they're they're mining deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper so i I, i'm assuming they're gonna go another two or three seasons i can't wait to see what they do and i just everything about it is amazing. So if you're looking for something to just kind of binge on the weekend, uh, definitely look at Voltron legendary defender on Netflix. Now does Netflix have the old series as well? They do. They don't have every season. They have a, okay. what, what they did. And this is kind of fun. The makers of the new show kind of assembled a playlist of their favorite episodes of the old series. Oh, okay. They have that as, I think it's just like, if you look for Voltron, you'll see like the old kind of graphic pull up. And then it's just like, a, I think it's like Voltron best of, um, and then they have like, I think maybe 12 to 15 ep- episodes of the old series, which is fine because what you realize is a lot of the old series repeats itself quite often. Like a lot of it is kind of a monster of the week. Like, you know, Oh no, another giant robot right. <laughs> crazy monster has landed. And we, ha- then it becomes much more power Rangers. That's I think where it really kind of fizzled out. It's just, there was nothing new. They never really mined anything new. And then eventually they I think like they got into like some, you know, like here's another giant robot made of like cars and things. And it's just like, uh, then it became power Rangers. This is clearly, if you like game of Thrones and world building, you'll love this show. It's, it's very much meant for that. And it has a really nice mix of, of uh, dramatic moments and like really, you know, thrilling moments and moments of just pure levity. There's an episode where they just go to a space mall and that's the whole episode. And it's really like, like it's really it's it's really fun because you get to see like oh the the economics of how like this place that they're trying to protect you get to see a lot more of that like how do these people live and, and act and then you get to see like like uh, there's a princess uh, in this you know in in the canon and like she's much more kind of of a military commander in this one but she and her sort of second in command 
Um, they don't have any idea of like earth customs. So they don't know like what a cow is. And yet they're drinking these milkshakes, not knowing how milkshakes are made. So at some point they reveal like, like one of the other characters, Lance, um, is it Lance? I think shows them how to make a milkshake and he actually starts milking the cow. And it's hilarious because like they, they do this like classic anime trope where like the, the princess and her like number two, like are just completely shocked. Like they're frozen and like they're, you know, their characters, the, an- they're, they're animated uh, to like, you know, the, the rest of the thing goes black and white and they're like literally like frozen in time and they get like moved out of the, out of the shot and just kind of like drifted around. Cause they're just shocked at the fact that like, milk comes out of a cow and you know that's what they've been drinking this whole time so just like little touches like that are really good the other really funny thing is if you're a fan of flight of the concords murray uh the character rice uh, darby i think his name is reese darby yep. he voices uh uh princess Alora's number two um in the show so you hear his voice a lot huh. and it's there's a lot of moments where you're just like that's definitely a murray moment like only murray would have said that <laughs> interesting anyway all right <laughs> anything else interesting on netflix yes <laughs> I feel like i'm yes. just leading you along here <laughs> uh black mirror season four dropped over christmas and um i have been a huge fan of the i've been a huge fan of black mirror it's, strangely the, the only episode of black mirror i'm not really a fan of is the is the one that everybody kind of got hooked on which is the very very first episode where the president or the, the yeah, prime minister was- of I mean, I was telling a friend this weekend, like, it's so heartwarming and funny, and it just, it really introduces these lovable characters. You got to start with number one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Season one, episode one. <laughs> I mean, I mean, that episode really does introduce you to sort of the shocking nature of Black Mirror, but what what I don't <laughs> like about it is it's it's the only episode where, so like, like the as the show goes on, you can tell like the, con- the main conceit is how technology uh, affects our lives in interesting and dystopic ways. Yeah. And, and the first episode doesn't really do that. I mean, technology is employed, but it's, it's less about that and more about just the shocking sort of uh, setup that you see played out. And, and for those of you who aren't aware, uh, let's just spoil that episode to some degree. Well, yeah, I mean, you can tell what the episode's about because it's, it's pretty much revealed in the first like five minutes. Exactly. So, so basically the, uh, a member of the Royal family, if I'm, I'm not mistaken, is kidnapped yes. and taken hostage. And the uh, prime the, minister, yes, English Royal family. Yes. English Royal family. And the, and the um, prime minister is blackmailed. And the only way to get her back is if the prime minister goes on national TV and has sex with a pig, like an actual animal pig. Yeah, and like that. The whole that's the whole premise, and the whole show is just the whole episode is just like, will he or won't he? And he's like having these serious discussions with his like staff and cabinet, and just like you know, if I do this, I you know, we'll get her back. But I you know, will this will the soul of the nation move on? And then the whole thing is building up to will he or won't he? And so it's it's truly shocking, but it doesn't really have a, a lot to do with technology in the way that all these other episodes do. So I don't ever recommend starting Black Mirror with that episode. Um, which is again, it's strange because everybody who's like, "Oh my God, Black Mirror" started with that episode, and that was the one that sort of, you know, shook them up to to watch them. I would suggest if you want to get into the show, start with the episode "White Rabbit." Or no, sorry, "White Bear." God, white. <laughs> um, there's another episode with a rabbit. I'm just confusing. There's an episode called "White Bear." And that is the most quintessential. It's again, it's a season. I think it's a season one episode. It's the most quintessential Black Mirror episode. I think you'll you'll ever see it. It, kind of, it has everything. It has a shocking twist. Um, it plays into a dystopic reality or a dystopic future. Technology is employed um, in a weird kind of creepy way. Just everything about it is is awesome, and it's, it's very unsettling. But at the very end, you're just like, oh. You don't see you really don't see the twist coming at all. Like at, huh. I, at least I didn't. Um, well, do you see? So we we've talked briefly also about like season three. So uh, these were like a, it was a British series produced in in Britain somewhere. I don't know yes. if it was BBC necessarily or like Channel Four or something. Um, and then uh, Netflix moved it here, and at which point it became largely an American production for season three. Do you think it's pretty? Um, you know, is it, it pretty seamless? Like, does it all feel in the same family? It's an anthology series. So it's like the characters yes. and plots change all the time, but does it still feel the same? Uh, yeah, because, because um, season three is when Netflix, it's funny, Netflix put seasons one and two up, which were exclusively yeah. British. And it was so successful. They're like, oh God, well, we got to do 
we'll co-produce new seasons with the original the original team charlie brooker and all those guys all the people who invented the show are are all involved it's just a co-production american british so you get some uh it's all written by the same guy the same creators but like some of them are american and some of them are british so you still have a very heavy british element there it's just uh filled out with a lot of american stuff and strangely the more and more like heavy hitter American actors are getting involved, mm-hmm. like John Hamm and um, uh, Bryce Dallas Howard. And now like a bunch of people from breaking bad uh, are, have been involved with it. So it's just like more and more and Jodie Foster directed an episode this season. So it's, it's uh, to answer your question. No, it doesn't feel like it's, it's, there's not like a jarring change. You just use that the addition of an American sensibility, I think makes it even more exciting because you still have the British stuff, but then you get to see kind of how, through an American lens, like what that might look like. Um, and it's all, it's all still dystopic technology, technological stuff. What they do is season four and where I'm really kind of excited. They, they're starting to figure out like what, what works. And there's also starting to go, Oh, we've already shown you this. We need to kind of, we need to dig a little deeper and amp this up a little bit more. Like, so you're watch. We know the people watching this are largely familiar with the show. So let's really start showing them some cool stuff. And we got that last. I kind of we we kind of got that last season with three. There was an episode, and and I was actually not a fan of it at first. But there's an episode called San Junipero, which is kind of like wildly regarded by the fan base as like the best episode up until season four. I think there's a couple that might not might surplant it in season four, but it was just if you want to see, it, San Junipero was less a shocking. Uh, episode and, and just like you know like like white bear was like oh my god like i never saw this coming san junipero is a love story where there's a there's a twist that you never see coming but it's it's not like meant to to disturb you it's meant to just go oh my god like that's heartbreaking hmm. um and so the, so there's a lot of that kind of too and then they dig they dig a little deeper um there's an episode with Donald gleason in season two that's also a little heartbreaking um where it's actually, it's funny. It's Donald Gleason and the actress who plays uh, Agent Carter. Um, what's her name? She's been in other stuff too. Haley. Haley Atwell. Yeah. Yep. So she's, she and Haley, uh, Haley Atwell and, and uh, Donald Gleason are married. And um, I'll just tell you the conceit of this. Again, it's revealed in the first five minutes. He dies and she has a Android kind of replicant version of him made that has his like memories downloaded into him. But he's an Android, so he doesn't have to sleep, doesn't have to eat. Um and you kind of see like, what is, what is the relationship when the person you love dies and you have this sort of approximation of them back in your life? Like, what does that do to your relationship? And then that kind of, those kinds of themes are carried into season four incredibly well. Now where season four gets exciting is you start to kind of see these story, like certain stories kind of layer on top of each other. So you get a sense of, oh, this may all be taking place in the same world or the same universe. They don't, say that and that i don't think their intention is to make that mm. clear i think i think they sort of like going oh this this could be you, you like you know something there's a there's a john ham episode last season in three kind of a christmas uh like a an anthology episode within an anthology series so it's john ham telling like three different stories about technology and uh aspects from that episode kind of play into season four but it's not it's not like a it's not like a this is all in the same universe like marvel kind of thing it's you just get glimpses of like little easter eggs and i think that's all it's ever going to be so you don't have to they don't have to like build a world where all this has to make sense together it's just little flashes here and there um the ending episode is called black museum and again it's another uh, anthology within the anthology and it takes elements of all the episodes that you've seen and kind of blends them together in really really satisfying ways so it's the whole thing they're really they're really uh kind of settling into understanding the mechanics of the show digging deeper so like if you're a fan of the show season four really really delivers um especially the first episode which i think is the one that everybody's the, the you know San Junipero last season was when everybody was talking about everybody was like oh my god there's an episode this season called SSS Callister or the SS Callister that is absolutely probably the the other than Black Museum I would think is the standout episode of the season um, it has to do with a the guy Jesse Plemons from Breaking Bad and Friday Night Lights uh, if you remember him from Breaking Bad he's the forget his character's name but he plays the sort of Aryan looking guy that comes in towards the end. Um, who's, uh, 
just really good act. He's also in the master. He plays, uh, L Ron oh, really? Hubbard's son in the master. Yeah. Um, or not L Ron Hubbard, but the character that Philip Seymour Hoffman was playing. Oh, he's in the post. Yeah. 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 That guy. So he's a really great actor, but he plays this, um, virtual reality, um, like, uh, CTO at this company and he's kind of just this lazy slob everybody's dumping on him and he he has his own private version of the VR program where he has built a a replicated reality of his favorite basically he's a big fan of of Star Trek it's just not called Star Trek in the show it's called the SS McAllister or, or Callister and so he creates his own version of that reality where he's the captain and he scans into that reality everybody from the real world and they're all his crew, so they all have to like respect him and like appreciate him. And there's a twist that is really, really satisfying. Um, well, and this is the one I've seen the most, uh, like his screen caps and stuff. And really, definitely the one they were pushing the the season release with. Um, yeah, the very Star Trek looking crew and uniforms, and even the way they shot it, where it sort of looks, you know, like like the 1960s Star Trek. Yeah, yeah, totally. And there's um. Uh, the cast is actually really good. There's another actor in it <clears throat> who's been in Westworld and Carnival. Um, I'm looking at the cast list right now. I think it's well, like Billy Magnuson. Kristen Milioti is in it. Um, yeah, she's in it. And actually, there's a there's an Aaron Paul cameo that's really really good. I don't want to spoil it. Um, just for again for Breaking Bad fans, there's like you're wow. like you, yeah, it happens. You're like oh, that's perfect. That's so perfect. So like they just they're getting really good at at knowing the right things to do again, just like Voltron it's really settled in. This is really settling in now. And you're seeing just like a lot of, you know, like, like confident creativity at play. And I hope, I really hope this show runs another like 10 years. I, I, I wonder at what point are they going to get to where it's either they've done everything or they just, they feel like they have to be ever more ridiculous to, to make a point. So it's, you know, at some point there's going to be an end. I just, this show is really starting to feel like amazing stories or like well, eerie Indiana, you know, just this kind of an anthological, you know, tales I, from the Crypt Keeper kind of feeling. Eerie Indiana is a good one to bring up. Cause I, I remember it, but I don't, I never watched it. But um, uh, one thing I think is important, like, because uh, some friends were describing this to another friend who didn't know where to jump into black mirror, um, you know, just recently, as I was saying, and, and, um, this is an anthology. It is unlike American crime story or American horror story where it's not like the whole season is one story. And then the next, next season is a different story. You know, the anthology is not from season to season. It's literally from episode to episode. It's much more like the twilight zone Yes, where every episode, like it's not, you don't have to, yeah, different directors, different stories, different characters, you know, different settings, plots, everything. It's I, yeah. would, I would even say less Twilight Zone and more like Outer Limits. I was a big fan of Outer Limits in the 90s, um, which, again, was an homage to Twilight Zone. This yeah. feels more like that because the Outer Limits always had some kind of <sighs> futuristic. It seemed like it had like a futuristic kind of dystopic kind of thing. Same thing with Black Mirror, but Black Mirror is definitely f- focusing on how technology integrates into our lives for better or for worse. And it, you know, sometimes for better, there's another, there's another episode that was kind of uh, trying to be, I think this season's San Junipero where um, it's a world, it's a world where everybody dates based on kind of this, this uh, app that's on everybody's phone. So it, you know, you sign up for the app and the app pairs you with somebody and then it tells you how long you get to be with that person. And that could be 12 hours. It could be five minutes. It could be five years. And you have to stay with that person until your time is up. And once your time is up, you move on. And the whole idea is the app runs you through these scenarios so that you ultimately find your perfect person. And then there's, so the, there's two characters who meet and kind of fall in love, but yet they, they have to be separated. And then you get to see Mm. how they, you know, how they go on with their lives through the app. And there's a really cool twist at the end of that one too, that I really liked. Um, so just, yeah. And that was kind of like the heartwarming episode. There's another one where a mother, um, basically gets to spy on her daughter at, at all times from birth. Uh, so you get to see what happens. That's the Jodie Foster one, if I'm not mistaken, hmm. um, where she directed it. So there's, I don't know, there's it, more and more creators are, you can tell more creative people, writers, directors, actors are, are fans of the show. They want to be involved with the show. I'm glad that we haven't seen like a crazy rash or uptick in anthology series following this. I think we could use maybe one or two more, but I'm glad like it would seem to be the easy thing. Like let's just every network do an anthology. This is working. 
you know, there are even, I think, is it Amazon or somebody's bringing back uh, amazing stories. So we'll have that to look forward to. But um, I'm glad these are hard to do. Yeah, well, yeah. you know, correctly. Like, it's, I'm glad we just haven't seen a, a fit. You know, I, I don't want to see Dwight from The Office like pop up in some like, you know, like here's our here's the tenth anthology series on you know Crackle. It's just like I, we don't need that. We just need you know it's, it needs to be its own thing, and then at some point it'll be done, and somebody will find a new twist on it. But definitely, if you're those two things, I would I would highly recommend Netflix if you. Or looking for something new, Voltron, Legendary Defender, and Black Mirror Season 4. If you want to get into Black Mirror, start with the episode White Bear. I promise you, you'll, it'll be worth it. At, it that, that episode alone really encapsulates everything the show is about. Yeah. Um, and, and again, you don't have to start. You don't have to watch in any order. You don't have to start with a particular season. Exactly. I would say follow your advice. Start with White Bear and then just kind of hop around and see you know, what you like. Definitely. Um, while we're on the topic of Netflix, I do want to mention this. We don't have to dwell on this too long, but there is a lot of talk that Apple, uh, with all their newly repatriated re- money, um, if that comes if that comes to pass, might buy Netflix. And uh, I don't know if you. I was curious to see if you had any thoughts on that. We hadn't really discussed that. Um, I don't know if you even knew about that. Uh, but it's I didn't. Bring- I hadn't heard the rumors until you you know, put it in the notes and then I looked it up and, you know, at least saw a couple of financial analysts saying it's too late or, you know, one tech analyst saying, um, you know, just pointing out that Apple generally likes to build its own service rather than buy existing services. So I, I just hope that's true that it's too late for them to buy it because I like Netflix a whole lot more than I like Apple. And I always have that fear when Apple you know, that you got to get stuck in the Apple ecosystem to enjoy something like that. And honestly, I like the Netflix ecosystem better than the Apple one. So yeah. Have you heard like, is there more serious chatter about it over the last week or so? Not so much. Just, I think more people were, were learning that that's a possibility. Yeah. Um, I think it's, some of it comes down to whether or not Trump creates a scenario which allows Apple to repatriate, their money. So basically the long and the short of it is Apple has billions and billions and billions. I think it's like 200 billion plus in overseas accounts that they're sheltering for tax purposes. And let's just be honest, like that's, they don't want to pay a bunch of taxes. So it's just sitting over there. So there's a whole, uh, they're, they're talking at, at the federal level of a sort of uh, like a, a one-time sweetheart deal where like Apple gets to pull that money back into the U S without a lot of tax hurdles, but they'll have to do something with it. They'll have to reinvest it somehow. Well, if you have if you have 200 billion plus in addition to just, you know, your other reserves, like that's not their entire cash reserve. They've you know, they've got a lot more money you in the US, but like what do you do with that? Like what kind of what kind of things do you buy? And I don't know Netflix if Netflix is available for that price, but that would, you know, I think that's the first thing that popped to mind. And considering the Apple has had a really hard time getting their own content arm off the ground, like, let's be honest, like uh, Planet of the Apps or whatever the hell that show is, is just not good. It's just the little, little things they've tried are just not great. Um, and and there's one, it worries me because like they have, they have bought things and have reappropriated them in the past. Like the original iTunes software was another program that they had purchased and then re-tweaked into iTunes. And that actually worked out. They bought Beats Music uh, and... And Beats hadn't even been around because Beats was like Mog or Moog or something. And then they uh, bought that uh, uh, um, Jay-Z and um, Dre and uh, Jimmy Iovine bought that and turned that into Beats. And actually what was the original incarnation of Beats was actually pretty good. It's a great UI. Um, I was still a Spotify fan, but I thought it was a really good competitor. Well, Apple bought Beats and instead of just incorporating it as is, which was always – it already looked and kind of felt very Apple-like. They actually – they spent like eight months and made it worse. Like they just completely ruined what it was. And I'm, I don't understand why that happened. I have a terrible feeling if they buy Netflix, the same thing could happen. Like they might meddle with it too much. Um, it's not like Disney where Disney buys things and kind of just lets them, you know, they give it more money, but to kind of let them operate, you know, autonomously for a large extent, which is interesting. I don't see Apple behaving in that way. Um, I also see Apple though, looking at Amazon going, Oh shoot. So we're, we're behind Amazon in terms of voice technology. The Alexa is far, far, far ahead of where our Apple assistant is or will ever be. Oh. 
Amazon's got content figured out. Amazon's like got commerce figured out. So like Amazon's doing a lot of stuff right now. And Apple, I think is feeling further and further left out, especially when you add Google into the mix. Google's, you know, got the software, the hardware figured out. They've got their core business figured out. App, Google's not doing a lot of content on their own, but if you count YouTube, they are. Like if you count YouTube as a Google subs- or an Alphabet subsidiary, um, YouTube's got a lot of just, you know, user-generated content. They're trying to figure out their studio model, but they kind of don't need to because YouTube just on a user yeah. level is pretty strong. So Apple doesn't have anything um, other than Planet of the Apps. So it's like, I, it makes sense from a strategic point of view. I just hope, I really hope it doesn't happen. I think we're, yeah, it's, I, it, Netflix needs to be its own thing and not, it needs to not sell to another, another entity. Yeah. Especially because, you know, one of the things that's helped Netflix flourish over the past few, you know, two, three years is the net neutrality agreement. Um, and, you know, if that does get scrapped and, uh, providers start sort of throttling Netflix. It's actually, I think it's better for Netflix to be a fully independent entity right now that customers demand rather than become part of an Apple ecosystem that may alienate quickly, you know, half the users in the U S yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, I that's just, a, that's a wild, <laughs> a wild idea that I have no <laughs> actual, like good background to analyze, but um, that's just sort of what it seems like to me. When I don't, I, I think at some point it screws up Netflix's pr- uh, uh, profit and loss model because all of a sudden, if you've got a if you've got a sugar daddy company owning you, who said who then says, "Guess what? Everybody who buys a new iPhone gets a free year of Netflix." So then, you know, they're not getting that new revenue in that changes how yeah. they fund certain shows or movies. Like it's they have a model very very well figured out, an international content distribution model, like. It needs to be pure for as long as possible. It's yeah. not like it's not like Disney buying Fox because what Disney was buying was essentially IP and production. Like there was nothing innovative about Fox, uh, the movies, you know, the movie uh, TV side. Like there was nothing. It was just IP and and you know, uh, talent is all they were essentially buying. I don't. I'm not a big fan of Disney owning that too. Um, to some extent, I mean, I, I, there's some pros and cons, but just Disney owning all that IP scares me a little bit. But it's not like Fox is going to change inherently especially because like i said before disney tends to let these companies run autonomously yeah um, for the most part so it's like i just don't see apple doing that i i was scared too when apple is potentially going to buy spotify for the same reason i'm like i just that's not a good idea these companies need to live and die on their own accord and only when it makes good strategic sense do we do we merge or do we i mean i understand there's a big payout but they're doing fine netflix is doing fine on their own we don't need this well, so, we need, yeah. uh, you know, we definitely need like uh, that's you, you uh, allude to a great, another great point, which is that Netflix is, is more than just a content distribution platform. It is its own studio. Yeah. And we need sort of like robust studios that are creating, you know, funding and creating new media rather than consolidating all those, you know, means of production. Like that's, that's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, let's, uh, let's move on from Netflix. Um, well, I have, I kind of think we ought to wrap this up. We're right at, at the, at the sweet spot here. Oh, we are. Shoot. <laughs> I do. Well, there's three other things I did want to talk about that we can push to another episode. One of them was the white Knight series that we've been both reading. Let's, yeah. let's table that. Maybe we'll do a coffee. You know what we should do? Let's do a joint coffee and comics about the white Knight Cause I think that could be an entire episode onto itself. Well, do we know when the series wraps up? I don't, but I think I, there's a lot to chat about because I'll just throw this on the table as a, as a teaser. This may be my favorite Batman story. I, I, I mean, I can't say it's my favorite, but, um, but it's, it has not yet wrapped up. So that's true. It could go I, I, horribly wrong. But I mean, I, I, <laughs> I, yeah, but that's great. You, you have teased white Knight on, um, yeah, on an on a different episode of Coffee and Comics, I know. Gosh, I just don't even. Yeah, it's a Batman book. It. Uh, how would you wrap it up? In in like, how would you summarize the plot of the series? I don't even want to go down. I think if I start doing that, we'll have to talk about it. So <laughs> let's let's just table all of White Knight uh, for maybe next week, and we could also. I mean. Quentin Tarantino Star Trek. Good idea, bad idea. Are you does that does that impact you at all? I don't. You know, um, I, I don't care about Quentin Tarantino, I, I, so it doesn't bother me. Fair enough. Um, uh, yeah, yeah other, I. 
it seems like a bad match, you know. I just I'm curious if, if they were rebooting from scratch, I would be into it. But just I don't know how they're going to funnel his sensibility. Oh, that's right. We're talking about a movie, not not yeah. like an episode of Discovery or whatever. Exactly. Um, like he's writing, not directing, but writing. No, no, somebody else is writing. He is directing it. He's directing, it, but not writing. I think he's he's the story is uh, is of his mind. The script screenplay is by somebody else, and then he's directing it. Is it definitely happening. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's happening. Yeah, absolutely happening. Oh, how stupid! I'm just. I I find it interesting that of all the things that aren't his own creation, that that's the one thing that he's like, oh yeah, I'd love to direct that. I mean, maybe it'll be cool. I don't know. I just. I, it clearly will not follow his normal like chapter three. You know, like the death of. Well, or like I, that's that's Spock funny. Here's something like what? I definitely uh, misunderstood his involvement in whatever it was. I thought. Man, I don't know what I was thinking that it was somehow like a, just a TV episode that he was going to do, but um, gosh, what a terrible idea. I mean, he has no, there's nothing we've seen from him. I mean, he's super capable. I'm sure he can do any genre he wants, but his, his genre is largely his own sort of mix of uh, Westerns and samurai films and this noir kind of, you know, dark and bloody <laughs> way of life. I don't got of handing him like the quintessential sci-fi series, it seems really weird. <laughs> it, but at the same time, he's directed episodes of television and stuff that you would never know it was him. Um, so I think that I, it will probably feel more like that. Cause there was a machine behind star Trek and he's almost like coming in as like a guest lecturer. You know, he's like, okay, I'll do, you know, yeah. a lot of it is, it's going to have some of his sensibility. It's going to be rated R. So that'll be interesting, but I don't see it being, it, it, well, well, Jury's still out, but I just, I just, I didn't know if you had any strong thoughts either way on that. Um, so will this count towards his 10, 10 film retirement plan? I don't think so. I think, I think that is purely not, of his own creation. No, that's not fair, Tarantino. You got it. Counts. It counts, man. Yeah, but he's not. But like, does four rooms count? I don't think. I don't think it does. Ah, you know? it does totally. Does it? <laughs> so, so does true romance. Yeah, we'll see. There you go. Like, does if that if, not, if he's time to retire, man. <laughs> If he's counting those, fine. But I don't, I don't, I don't think that's what we're talking about. The other no. thing I wanted to at least name check because uh, we haven't chatted about it, and it's super duper uh, important. The Doctor Who Christmas special happened uh, recently, and it was the famous episode where Peter Capaldi regenerates into Jodie Whittaker. And I'll just, I'll say two things. We can talk about it later if we want to. It was absolutely the best Doctor Who episode I have ever seen. <laughs> ever i mean it just it it was absolutely beautiful um and i i ne- i knew i would be emotional but i had no idea i would ugly cry at the end of it I, wow. it, it hit me in such an emotional way and i can articulate I, I watched it twice i actually watched it again last night um in case we chatted about it and i it, it happened exactly the same way the second time and i think i know why i get so worked up about it it's it is there are so many everything about the episode just the mechanics of it the even if it wasn't a regeneration episode it would still be one of the best if not the best just because it really captures what's great about the show the um they actually have the original doctor uh make an appearance and he's portrayed by david bradley who portrayed the original actor slash doctor in a sort of docudrama that they did uh, a couple years ago as part of the 50th anniversary. So they brought him back to just play the first doctor for real, which was great. Cause he's perfect at it. He's the, he's a, he's a really, he does a really good uh, impression, but he also kind of brings his own thing to the table. Um, and the whole conceit of the, sh- the episode is he, that original doctor doesn't want to regenerate either. And Capaldi's doctor doesn't want to regenerate cause he's been through too much and he doesn't, he just wants mm-hmm. to end it. And so they both have to figure out how they move on, why they move on. And Capaldi, it's it's like it's like a love letter to his character. He does his best acting, but he does this thing. I, I almost don't want to get into it because I'll start bawling again. He does this thing at the end. They they set up they set up the final sort of sequence. He says goodbye to some old characters and stuff, and that's really heartwarming and emotional. But then he gets into the TARDIS and he he makes the decision that he's he is going to regenerate again. He's like, and he kind of does it almost like. He does it almost sort of just like he's resigned to it. He's like, what's, what's one more life going to hurt? It certainly won't kill anybody. You know, like it's because he, he, he realizes he has to go on because he's going to, more people will live and 
more people will be saved if he does. But then he goes, but if I'm going to, he, he's, he's talking to himself as he, as he's done throughout the whole show. And he goes, so if I'm going to, if I'm going to do this again, and he starts talking to the next doctor, he's like, I have a list of things that you, for you to remember. And he starts like saying all these things that he wants the next doctor to be. He's like, you're going to be, you know, he's, he's like, I want you to be kind. I want you to remember this. I, you know, run fast. Like do all, always remember this. And he's listing off all this shit and you realize, and this is, I think why it hits me so emotionally, the way Capaldi plays it. And as he's giving this monologue, he's like, he's walking around the TARDIS. He's, you know, his, the blocking's really good. Um, you, he's, you know, he's doing kind of, he's going upstairs, he's walking around and he's, he keeps, you know, he's at the end of his regeneration. So he's physically in pain. Um, you know, he's, he falls down a few times and he's, he's, his, his, um, his energy gets, you know, less and less as he's going through it. He gets quieter and kind of quieter and more sort of, he, he kind of feels more sickly and you realize what this is, is this is a dying father telling his new daughter what he wants for, what he wants for her to be in, in her life. And it's just like, and you, it, and once I realized that, I was like, oh my God, this is, this is him telling his daughter, I want you to be these things. Like, don't, you know, remember this, do this, because I'm not going to see you again. And so when so he do changed, they, uh, do they always have like such a big regeneration episode where they're introducing the new doctor? Um, yes. Uh, basically the, when, when Christopher Eccleston, who, who kickstarted the new series again, regenerated, it was, um, it was at the finale of season one and it was, uh, it was a, it was, it was a bigger moment, but it was basically over in like five minutes. Like he, and it was actually a very classy, Christopher Eccleston's was always my favorite regeneration until this one, because it was really classy. It was, you know, he realized it was happening, but he was, it was optimistic, but sad. And then he turns into David Tennant. David Tennant's regeneration was this big, like whiny emo affair that I, I to this day can't <laughs> stand. And it's like, I go back, I just shake my head every time I think about it. Cause I'm like, what a wasted opportunity. He, the, literally the last words he says to us, the audience are, I don't want to go. And he, he's, he's just all sad and sappy. And it's just, it really bothered me. When Matt Smith regenerated into Peter Capaldi, it was a return to a really classy thing, but they really stretched out. It was like, it was another Christmas episode. So the whole thing was about his regeneration. But the last moment where he's in the TARDIS was really, really classy. Like they, they sent Matt Smith out in a really good way. I knew when Capaldi came on, when he was cast, I just had this sense of like, oh my God, I'm going to, I'm going to cry at his regeneration just because I knew he would be really, I knew he'd be good. I knew he, I didn't think, I didn't, I don't know if I realized he'd be this good, but I knew he would be one of the best ones we ever had. And I have the same very visceral feeling about Jodie Whittaker. I really feel like she's going to be, if not the best doctor we've ever had, at least up there with Tom, like as much as people love Tom Baker and David Tennant, I think she's going to be as beloved, but then also as good as Capaldi was because Capaldi's beloved, but he's not, I think because he was, he was so good as an actor, he didn't have as many like, you know, child fans as maybe Tennant does. Cause Tennant, Tennant was a good actor, but Tennant was also very accessible Capaldi was a very challenging actor. He actually, for the first time, created an arc for the Doctor. So, so like where he starts and where he ends are very, very different as, as a character. I feel like Jodie Whittaker is going to be all of those things. She's going to be mm. beloved, but she's also going to bring some really solid acting. So when, when Capaldi says his final line, he's like, you basically, like his final line is like somebody, like I imagine like an, an old man in a cancer ward dying. Like, that's really what you feel like. And he says this final line, and he turns into Jodie Whittaker. Like, when you see her, you're like, oh, my God. Everything he – she is she is going to be everything that, that Capaldi's told her to be. Like, you just, you, you just know it by the look on her face. So, just the whole thing is this emotional, very emotional roller coaster. And this is after, by the way, we see the first Doctor. They do this really classy thing with the first Doctor where you see him start to regenerate and they actually take the footage and they, they, they merge it back into the, the original black and white episode where you see the original doctor regenerate. So you, they, they start it in the modern, the modern day with like the modern music and everything. And they transition it back so that it's completely within continuity. And it's just like, it's, it was, that was just, if just that alone happened, I would be like, I would have shed a tear because like, that was really well done. But then you get this entire 20 minutes of Capaldi just masterclassing this hmm. show. And then I, I, 
I really, I got really emotional, like really emotional the first time. And then I watched it last night and I, it, the same thing happened. And wow. that has never happened on a sh- like this show. I mean, I've always loved it. I've always been emotional, but I've never just l- completely lost now, it. And how can anyone watch it right now? Um, I, oh, great, great question. Cause it used to be on Netflix. It is on Amazon prime. So, uh, I think, I don't know if this newest episode is available on prime. I, I always just buy them, um, on mm. iTunes or Amazon. So, cause I like supporting the show, but I think every other season, I, and I think this newest episode, if it's not, it will soon be, um, but it's all available for prime prime streaming. Cool. Wow. Well, I actually, I'm glad we covered that and pushed on because I, this, you know, we needed to talk about Doctor Who and the farther we get away from Christmas is, uh, and the more they get into the new series, it's, you know, going to be harder to go back. So that's a good launching point. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited. She comes back. The, the show comes back later this year as I, and I've mentioned this on, I think a previous episode there, it's going to be very different. Like not only is, you know, is it a female doctor, but it's a, it's a different sort of, instead of like just a female companion, she's going to have like an older gentleman and some other people as her companions. The show is being shot like game of Thrones. So like on better cameras and everything. So it's just going to feel like a whole, it's just going to feel like we've gone up a notch again, just like we did when, um, Stephen Moffat took over. It, it went up a notch in production. It just gets just that show gets better and better and better and better. And I just don't, I don't know how they do it anyway. Huh. Um, cool. Well, where can people find this podcast? You can find us on Apple Stitcher, uh, Google play pocket cast, wherever podcasts are discovered. We're actually on a new um, distribution platform, which I'm excited about. So that will be uh, probably, I think I'm looking, hopefully we'll get on Spotify soon. Cause I knew that the, the new platform uh, has that capability. You can also uh, tweet us and Instagram us. Uh, we are find us there on both of those accounts uh, still on SoundCloud. If you want to find us there and uh, of course, find us there.org is our website address. And we are actually launching a new website very, very soon. It may have happened before you even heard this podcast. If not, it'll happen soon after. And lots of really fun stuff there. A lot of our coffee and comics picks are going to be there. Um, All our other shows are going to be there. Uh, So yeah, there is the name and uh, look for all our stuff on those networks. Yeah, I would would say anticipate another coffee and comics episode uh, before another sort of uh, pop culture, you know, at large episode because... I'm primed and ready for this coffee and comics. Excellent. Excellent. So uh, great to catch up on all this stuff. Um, I will catch you next week, Taylor, and you audience can find us in all those places. uh, And we'll be back with coffee and comics soon. And the Todd Taylor show. Bye. Bye.